We want to talk tonight about the heart of a servant, and my guess is that you have never heard the character Mary Magdalene used in reference to lessons on servanthood. Uh, but tonight, uh, we are going to study Mary Magdalene. And as we get into the lesson tonight on servanthood, I want us to look at some of the verses that are familiar to us. Uh, and the purpose of the lesson tonight is, is just to give us a charge uh, to energize our desire and hopefully willingness to serve. Matthew 23, 11 to 12, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we have this passage in John chapter 13, the night before the crucifixion, the Last Supper when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And I want you to think before we read this about what's going on. Uh, this is the night that Jesus would leave this place and go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read that story and we think of that story and we think about the amount of stress on the part of our Lord as he asked that that cup of death be removed from him. It was right before this that he is taking time to teach servanthood when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for what? For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, a couple of things I want to emphasize before we move on. The first one is, if Jesus is our Lord, then we're going to do as he did. The second thing I want to emphasize is that last line. We truly are blessed when we are concerned with others. Keep that in mind as we go through this lesson tonight. Galatians 5 and verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. We talk sometimes about the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom in the new law when compared with the old law. And the statement that Paul makes here is very interesting. He says, yes, we do have freedom. Use that freedom. Use it to serve one another humbly. When we look closely at the character of Mary Magdalene, we do see that she indeed had the heart of the servant. And I want to go through what we have about Mary Magdalene. We have very few passages. But look at what we have in the, in the New Testament concerning Mary. First from Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through the first part of verse 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chesa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many other. So we are reminded from this passage that Mary Magdalene is a woman who was demon-possessed. Now, whether she had seven specific demons that dwelled within her, or this is an, 
a reference where the number seven is used showing completeness, I think it's fair for us to realize that this woman who was one who so loved our Lord and her Lord was one who was demon-possessed in a terrible, terrible way. Seven demons. Well, let's continue. We see she was cured from seven demons. Why is she called Mary Magdalene? Most likely from Magdala on the western shore of the Lake of Tiberias. Oftentimes we will see it believed or assumed that Mary Magdalene is the sinful woman in John chapter 7 who anointed Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee. In fact, sometimes you'll see movies or books or writings suggesting that it was Mary Magdalene in this passage that anointed the feet of Jesus. There's no reason to believe that as far as the text goes. There may be uh, historical records or other references, traditional, but the Bible in nowhere indicates that this first anointing of Jesus was from Mary Magdalene. The second that we have was very near the crucifixion at the house of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus where Mary anointed Jesus and Jesus explained that she had done so to prepare his body for burial. But as we see what we often see, assuming Mary Magdalene was this woman in John chapter 7, I would encourage us to be careful about taking that assumption. Now look at who her contacts were. Those who were within her circle. The name Salome the mother of uh, James and John, is one that Mary Magdalene was near at the crucifixion, Mark chapter 15. We also see her there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, in John's account, in John chapter 19 and verse 25. And on Sunday morning, the resurrection morning, we find Mary Magdalene with Salome and other women anointing the body of Jesus. And I want you to look at this passage. In fact, uh, we'll talk about this as we go. But the resurrection morning, when the Sabbath was over from Mark's account, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. They asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. There are a lot of questions that I have as I read this passage. First of all, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, in uh, in whose tomb Jesus was buried, had anointed the body of Jesus on Friday before he was buried. And so were they planning to re-anoint the body for burial? What were they doing? Second question is, how were they planning on moving that stone? (laughs) Jesus had already been placed within the tomb. They knew it, and even as they went to anoint him, they asked the question, how are we going to get that stone away? Well, my best answer to that is, I think God was involved. I think God was involved in this being part of the plan. And when we see that Mary saw the stone rolled away, she ran back to the city to tell Peter and John that someone had taken the body of Jesus. Now again, at this point, what we're doing is just bringing out the times in the text that we have Mary Magdalene mentioned. And let me mention one thing that is kind of interesting and also kind of difficult here. 
If you do a study of the events involving the resurrection and you study especially Sunday morning, those going to the tomb and leaving the tomb, especially the women involved, when you try to compare the four Gospels, it's very, very confusing, very difficult. Because this gospel will give this piece, and this gospel will give this piece, and when they were together and when they were separated, it's difficult. From my study, my belief is that as these women approached the tomb, when they saw the stone rolled away, and as Mary Magdalene came close enough to glance in and see that the body was there, she immediately turned and ran ran back to the city, the text tells us, we'll see this in a minute, for the purpose of telling Peter and John that someone had stolen the body of Jesus. And look at the first two verses of John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, she saw that the stone had been removed, so she came running to Peter and John, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they are. Now again, when you look at this, it's like Mary left and the other one stayed later and had a conversation with the angel or angels. At one time we see one mentioned, another time we see two mentioned. And when they apparently, after Mary had left, were instructed that Jesus had resurrected, by that time Mary Magdalene had already run back looking for Peter and John. And then when she tells Peter and John what has happened, she and Peter and John run back to the tomb for the purpose of figuring out what is going on. So number three, then we have when Mary Magdalene comes back to the tomb, a very, very special thing. Jesus first appeared after the resurrection to Mary Magdalene. John chapter 20, 11 to 18. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb again as she had done before. And this time she sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She responded, They have taken my Lord away. She said, And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, how would that be the case? Why would she not recognize him? Well, there's a number of reasons, I think. Possibly she was so tearful that she was not seen clearly. Partly she saw someone out of the corner of her eye, and she was so in grief or so bereaved that she didn't look clearly. Why are you crying? Who is it you are crying for? The explanation that John gives us is she thought it was the caretaker, the gardener. She said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus then speaks to her again and says, Mary. And you can imagine how when she thought this was the caretaker or the gardener, and he calls her by name, she would look more closely. And when she does, she saw that it was Jesus and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not touch me, 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Why? You know what she was doing. She was reaching to hug Jesus. He says, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene does what he asks, goes to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So this is basically what we have. Now I've left out one part of one verse that we will come back to. So how do we get that Mary was a servant in all this? Well, look at especially the latter part of verse 3. In fact, in verse 1 and 2, we, verses 1 and 2, we, I read those earlier, so I won't repeat that. But look again at verse 3. Joanna, the wife of Chesa, the manager of, her, of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Out of their own means. Why? Well, Mary Magdalene was a different woman. She was very different. And what she did was to show Jesus her appreciation for how he changed her. And I put Matthew 25, verse 40 here because the question should come to each of us, are we willing to serve others to show Jesus our appreciation because of what he's done for us? And see, if Jesus were to walk in and call us by name as he did Mary Magdalene, if we were to turn and see him being caught off guard as was Mary Magdalene, what would we want to do? What would our thoughts be? We, I think, would make some effort to show him how pleased we were for him, for what he had done for us. We would try to serve him. We would try to take care of his needs. What a moment that would be. And Jesus responds in this chapter when he says, as he's teaching in the setting, talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of time and what the judgment's going to be like, here in Matthew chapter 25, he says, you want to know what the judgment's going to be like? The judgment's going to be a great separation. Those to the right and those to the left. And then he says, you want to know what that separation is going to be based on? He talks about people who were naked and hungry and thirsty and in prison and sick. And then he says, inasmuch as you do it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you do it unto me. And to those who are turned away, he gives the opposite. And again, he gives a similar statement. Inasmuch as you do it not unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you do it not unto me. You see the point I'm trying to make here? I'm confident it is as pleasing to Jesus when we serve one another as it would be if we were to be able to serve him. Mary was showing her appreciation to Jesus, made her a servant. But the second thing we see about Mary is it was not about her. It was not about her. Her focus, her concern was not on herself. I don't know how long Mary Magdalene followed Jesus after having the demons cast out. It sure appears that she began following him daily. We see women often who were following Jesus and it just seems to be a very common thing that Mary Magdalene is one of those. But look at what we have in 
Luke 8, 1 to 3, especially verse 3. It came to pass afterward that he went throughout Jesus, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And again, we see Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. So we see that again. There's significance to that. She was bad, demon-possessed. But verse 3, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod, Steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto them of their own substance. They used their own money. They used what they had. Now, how much did she have? How much would she have had? She was demon-possessed. I expect she was not a successful business person. I doubt that she sold purple or she mended clothes or she worked in a tent maker's business. I don't know what she did, but whatever she had was not hers. It was the Lord's. And one of the things that I want to challenge us with tonight as we continue to look at Mary Magdalene from this perspective is this matter of to what degree are we looking inward or looking outward? Now, some of us just have a pretty strong tendency to take care of myself first. And I think it's a good thing for us to do to assess ourselves and see if we truly have the heart of the servant or if our heart is geared more towards serving self. When we go back to this matter of Jesus washing the feet of disciples, this time we'll look at Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, when Jesus gave this, and again, how distraught he was because of what would happen that very night and the next day. Jesus said, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, the context of this just makes that so strong to me. Here he is about to be nailed to a cross. The ultimate sacrifice. But right before going through that pain and that suffering, words that don't carry accurate meaning as far as I'm concerned, he's trying to teach them the need to serve. You think it's important to him? I think it is. One of the things I think is fair to say about Mary is it's not like she showed great talent or great ability. She didn't do great things. In fact, when you think about Mary Magdalene, just answer the question, what stands out? You know, she was unselfish. She was always there. She was even there when others weren't. We'll see this later, but what stands out? There was no great sermon that she preached. There was no life-saving heroic moment. It's not what made her a servant. She simply was what we might call today as the salt of the earth. And what our old-timers used to say about people, just good people. (laughs) Just good people. That's what a servant is. We can't use the excuse, well, I don't do anything. I can't do anything. I don't have this talent. I don't have this talent. Doesn't matter. It's not what makes the heart of a servant. 
And again, as we assess ourselves, could we be described as just good people? Or if our family members, our friends, those who are acquaintances, how would they describe us? Would it be that we tend to be self-centered people? Mary was a servant. And part of her being a servant was simply being there. John 19, 25 to 27. In this passage you have before you, we see Mary Magdalene at the cross. One of the few. Why? Well, so many of the others had fled. John the Apostle was there. And notice uh, that she's not doing any great things. She's not out with her sword. She's not out trying to fight the Romans. She's not trying to take the nails out of the cross. She was just there. And in fact, go back and look at that. When we read this passage, we don't ever talk about Jesus even acknowledging her. Didn't matter to her. She was just there. Another thing we see about Mary being a servant I'm convinced that part of what Mary did in order to get past her past, to leave it behind, was to do so by taking on this heart of a servant. We don't know what her life of demonization was like. We see uh, demons possessing individuals, causing the person to cast themselves into the fire, to cut themselves, to have supernatural strength, as in the case of Legion, sometimes having the ability to seemingly at least, predict or foretell the future. Demon possession was not a good thing. I don't know exactly what the characteristics of her demon possession uh, characteristics were, but that number seven just keeps coming back to me. I see her as a severely troubled individual. But when Jesus removed those demons from her, she changed. And when she changed, what did she change to? A servant. From 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, we have John describing, I think, somewhat what Mary Magdalene did. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That underlying part describes Mary Magdalene. It's who she was. It's who she changed to. It's who she became. I want to tell you, oftentimes when I'm working with individuals who are troubled and who are having a hard time getting past it, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about turning the focus away from self to others. Why? Well, serving others helps in dealing with difficult past. Serving others helps to take the focus off of guilt. Serving others helps, at least, to take the focus off of hurt. It helps to take the focus off of emotional pain. And what about this one? Depression. I want to tell you, I believe in depression. I believe it exists. I believe that depression is the result of a lot of different pieces. 
human body is very complicated. I could get Dr. Simmons to come and do a better job of talking about this right now than I could. Human body is complicated. And I'm not doing anything at all to take away from things like chemical imbalances or hormone problems, stress-related issues, physical things that cause depression. I see enough people who have this that I'm convinced it is real. When I talk about serving others as a means of dealing with depression, and as we'll see scientifically or statistically in a moment, I'm not minimizing it at all. But look at this paper published in January 2012 in U.S. News co-authored by two individuals. The first one's name I've practiced and practiced and done so enough I'm not going to try to say it. <laughs> but Dr. Sonia, <laughs> who's a psychology professor, uh, professor at the University of California, Riverside, and Dr. Michelle Reba, former president of the American Psychiatric Association and associate director of the Depression Center at the University of Michigan, did this study. And look at what they say. The first author said the major aspect in dealing with depression is the positive emotion that comes when we give ourselves to serving others. The most significant feature of depression is the absence of positive emotion, just a feeling of nothing, of emptiness. And look at the second author's statement. She said there's a lot of good research that shows these kinds of actions can have a positive impact on life. In general, people who help others stop focusing on their own pains and problems and worries and feel good about themselves. Now, they further suggest, and as we go through these five or six statements, just look closely at them and see how much sense they make. They say serving others for individuals who are depressed have these things to consider. Number one, it will help you to get your attention off your own problems. Sometimes we get in such a hole that we can't see anything else or find a way out. Helping others works to break this cycle and opens our vision. It gives perspective and shows that your problems are not insurmountable. Now, just before I go to the second one, remember who these two people are. They're not preachers that you see on television. These are people, psychiatrists, individuals who work in a theoretical framework for the purpose of dealing with this in research-oriented ways. Look at what they say secondly. As we serve others... In helping to heal others' wounds, yours will heal much quicker. The love and compassion you show to others in your time of pain will come back to you in healing and joy. Number three, helping others will once again reveal your true self-worth. It will show that you do have value, that you can make a difference. We all seek this. It was planted in our hearts by God. We're having a hard time feeling good about ourselves, this is a way to help. Number four, the appreciation you will feel from those you help will bring joy and fulfillment to your heart. Our hearts long for fulfillment 
and only by serving can we best find it. And number five, you will find that you aren't the only one with problems. We know this intellectually, but seeing it firsthand is healing. Sometimes we feel like we have been singled out for pain. We are not that special. It comes to all. Receive healing as you work to heal others. It truly is an amazing thing how God can use negatives and turn them into positives. Serving is a great way to do this. And number six, the feeling you get from easing someone else's pain and stress, sometimes called helper's high, can give you a mood boost. Well, I debated whether or not to say this, and I just am thinking it, so I'm going to say it. My good friend Mike Kessler and I were visiting one morning, and he's going, yeah, I wish everybody could see the look on his face right now. He's going, what are you getting ready to say? We were talking about depression. And he said, you know, I just don't understand depression. I don't think I've ever had it. Well, I'll tell you, I don't know anybody, and he wouldn't want me to say this for anything, but I sometimes don't listen very well. I don't know of anybody that serves him more than he does. I wonder if there's something to that. I think there is. Look at... This passage from Isaiah 58, 6-9. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? In fact, look at that. In fact, just stop and look at that. Isaiah is saying, all right, there are different kinds of fasting. This is the kind I have chosen. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. In other words, those who are oppressed... My fasting, my effort, my serving is trying to help those who are oppressed. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. When you care for people in this way, when you fast, when you give your clothes, when you... Help the oppressed, verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your regard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here am I. Now when you look close at that passage, it's pretty rich, isn't it? Isaiah is saying, look, when we give ourselves up for others, God has our back. When we give ourselves up for others, when we care about others, then we call to the Lord and He calls for us. We don't have to accomplish great things to have the heart of a servant. We simply must be mindful of others. We must look for ways to make a difference with others. We must learn to better focus on others instead of self and show people that we care. Now, we started the lesson by looking at that word blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to serve than to be served. We are much more fulfilled when we are doing for others than when they are doing for us. Do you believe that? I do. 
I think we all do because we've done it, we have felt it, we recognize it. Now we just got to tell Satan to scoot back enough for us to stop and do it. And if we will, John 10, verse 10, our lives will be lived more abundantly. And God will outgive us. Luke 6, 38. Give, and he'll give it back. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The purpose of the lesson tonight is to encourage us, to remind us, to stop and look for ways to serve others. Why? We'll be better off. Why? We'll be doing what the Lord wants us to do. Why? We'll be children of God by doing so. May we do so. Tonight we offer the invitation. If you need to come asking for prayers of the congregation, or if you're not yet a child of God, tonight would be the perfect time to put on Christ in baptism. If you need to respond, we'd encourage you to do so while we stand and sing.